Hello, this is Emma Knights. I'm Chief Executive of the National Governance Association and welcome to this edition of Governing Chatters. I am Emma Bolchin, our Director of Professional Development. Hello. And by Steve Edmonds, our Director of Advice and Guidance. Hello. And Sam Henson, our Director of Policy and Information. Hello. Just before um, we move into talking about what has got to be the top issue of this month, uh, governing in COVID times, what that means for this very warm uh, summer term, but also what it means in terms of planning for September. I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the fact that the last couple of weeks, uh, we really have all been so aware of the Black Lives Matters movement. Um, the uh, uh, sadness and the anger uh, that that has generated, but also the energy and the commitment um, to uh, improve and to listen and to tackle those issues uh, of racism and making sure that we are uh, taking those into uh, account and improving uh, things for the lives of our black uh, pupils, uh, but also fairness uh, for our black staff. And you may know that uh, a couple of years ago, um, NGA uh, launched our Everyone on Board campaign with a lot of support um, from other organisations across the sector. And the aim of that campaign is to improve the diversity on our school governing boards, because quite frankly, it is woeful. Uh, we need to have more uh, a Black, uh, Asian and minor, minority ethnic uh, volunteers um, across our schools and our uh, trusts. But right from the beginning, I'm really pleased to say that um, BAME Ed Network uh, was involved in advising us um, at how uh, we should go about doing this well. Uh, and also that the six faces uh, that fronted the campaign for us were um, uh, black young uh, governors, because I think it's really important that an organization like NGA that is white led listens to to those people um, who have that lived experience uh, in this country and learns from um, our black uh, colleagues. So we absolutely intend to keep working in this way uh, because everyone on board has just had its second anniversary. Um, we were always intending to move it into the next stage and we will be uh, seeking, we are already uh, seeking the advice um, of black uh, governors and trustees. So please, if that is you, we would love to hear uh, from you. Um, we will be having an advisory group meeting. So please do get in touch with me. Um, if you'd just like to um, have a conversation or to get more, more broadly um, involved um, in the campaign. We also have some work underway um, to look at the way in which governing boards are also recruiting their senior leaders, uh, your head teachers, your senior executives, um, really focusing on the diversity and equalities aspect um, of that work. And for the first time, really, for NGA, um, uh, addressing the issue of uh, unconscious bias. So that's something I'm sure we will return to um, in a future uh, 
podcast. But I just thought it was um, uh, helpful to say, um, that, you know, we're not oblivious to to these issues, and we very much want to work uh, with people and learn uh, from people in taking um, our work forward. So um, let's move on to that. Uh, issue that has really uh, taken an awful lot of um, attention from all of us, both those of us at NGA and all of you that that are governing over the last months, um, COVID and what that has meant uh, for for our schools. So you will have heard um, over the last uh, week or so uh, the changes nationally. Um, it's uh, great that finally we are able to move from the the national alert level of four down to three and therefore for lockdown to be eased um, uh, some more in the coming um, weeks. But what exactly does that mean for schools, um, particularly for schools from September? You will no doubt have heard that the government's ambition uh, is for all pupils in both primary and secondary, to be back at school full time from the beginning of the September term. But it's important to recognise um, that actually uh, this is an ambition. And you might remember the last ambition where the government wanted to have all primary school pupils back for four weeks this summer uh, term. That actually didn't turn out to be practical because the country just wasn't in uh, a state to be ready for that. Whereas now, if the virus continues to recede, this may well be possible um, in uh, September. So how do we... Um, at the beginning of July, uh, make sure that our schools are ready and safe for our pupils. Steve, what sort of um, conversations have you and the team been having with governors and trustees over this uh, period? Um, and what are the issues that you are thinking about in terms of our guidance uh, to governing boards? Well, Emma, as you said, uh, there's a lot for governing boards to discuss um, with their with their senior leaders before the end of term, and, and that's very much been reflected in the conversations that we've been having with people uh, through the advice service. Uh, very much preoccupied with returning to some version of of normal uh, in September, and uh, that's a very challenging proposition when we don't exactly know what it will be uh, safely able to achieve. And we have been told uh, by the department, or it, it, we've been told to expect by the department, some some guidance next week on, on how the government intends to achieve that ambition that you've, you've just uh, re referred to. But as governing boards, mine included, uh, we, we can't really wait around uh, for a national plan to appear and provide us with all the answers because it simply probably, you know, might not do that. So like many others, we're thinking of more than one scenario for September. And we know from our conversations, both in the team and, and, and with those who govern, that, that that's happening up and down the country. And, and, and that flexible planning that's needed uh, to return uh, more pupils safely or indeed all pupils safely. And those plans will consider balancing uh, a return of pupils to the classroom with with the remote learning that's been developed over the last few weeks in last few months rather now in, in very challenging circumstances and we'll need to uh, remain in place uh, not least 
to uh, maintain some level of resilience if local outbreaks and lockdowns uh, lead to further school closures uh, in, in the autumn. And then we're also wrestling with issues around social distancing. Uh, and, you know, there's been a lot of controversy about that over the last um, week or so, uh, week or so in, in terms of what the departments have uh, actually uh, said uh, about what is required in schools and the two metre rule, whether there ever really was a two metre rule. The departments seem to have got themselves in a little bit of a mess around, around that. Uh, and then all the other considerations that go go with uh, a return to full class sizes or class uh, bubbles, you know, protective measures, hand washing, uh, you know, re- carrying uh, on and maintaining uh, strict cleaning regimes. So these are all things that we've been discussing over the last few months and certainly talked about in our guidance and webinars. Um, but they, they are now taking on a, a further significance and taking place in a slightly different context with that with that government. Uh, position that you mentioned and of course the other major com- conversation that goes hand in glove with that is is how we as as governing boards um move move on from that short term shall we say emergency focus that we've had over the last few weeks and months uh to a more longer term perspective you know what we need to do with our school leaders to protect our uh, our school or trust's vision uh, against uh, COVID having a damaging legacy. In fact, you know, look at it more positively. And what can we? How can we ensure that what's happened to us as a country and and, and, and a school system over the last few weeks actually creates a positive legacy? So you know, we're boards are now reflecting on on how COVID may require a new vision uh, for their for their future. Uh, and we know that it won't be just as easy as as reinstating the certainty of school routines. Um, you know, whether they're to do with assessments, raising standards, behaviour, quality of teaching, all those things we're familiar with. Um, because we're all coming back as different people and COVID will have touched us in different ways. So it's inevitable, I think, that governing boards in the short to medium term will we'll be developing new and evolving priorities as we learn more about the impact that COVID's had on well-being throughout the school, how equipped our pastoral and welfare systems are to deal with that impact, and what our pupils have learnt during lockdown and the learning support they need uh, going forward, and particularly the most vulnerable uh, and disadvantaged, and, and clearly the government have recognised the need to support uh, our most disadvantaged pupils through through a national scheme, which I know uh, Sam will, will come on to in a, in a few moments. Um, so boards are thinking about those those different scenarios for returning pupils, along with along with modified and adjusted priorities for for the short to medium term, and also different scenarios for carrying out the responsibilities from September, because who knows at this stage what it will be possible to do. Uh, for us as governing boards, you know, in terms of our own uh, engagement with schools, it's it's more than possible that we'll be mixing virtual meetings with with face to face meetings, uh, and retaining the benefits that we've 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 seen of that. Uh, but at the same time, as remaining visible, it's a, it's a really important balancing act. And I know Emma has given some thoughts on how monitor activities can can be successfully carried out in in what we're calling this new normal. And it, so it's inevitable that our, our, our short to medium term our priorities will 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 change, and, and different priorities will emerge for the for the next year as as we learn more about the impacts that COVID's had on on well being throughout the school, um, and how 
uh, equipped our, our welfare and pastoral systems are to are to deal with that impact, and and what our pupils have learned uh, during the lockdown and the learning support that they need uh, going forward, and a considerable investment uh, of, of school time and resources will, will be needed to assess uh, the lost learning that uh, pupils have experienced uh, during this time, and and how we can best uh, recover that, uh, and that's going to take some real some real thought, um, particularly for our most vulnerable uh, and, and disadvantaged pupils, recognised by by the government in their uh, investment uh, and uh, in the national national catch up uh, initiative that was announced uh, last week. But boards uh, are also thinking about the different scenarios for the way they're carrying out their responsibilities because we don't quite know. Um, how possible it will be from September to return to school as as governors or governing boards. Uh, in fact, it's it's more than likely we'll be mixing the virtual meetings uh, that we've uh, experienced over the last few months with with face to face meetings and retaining uh, the benefits of, of remote working, but at the same time trying to remain visible uh, to our to our schools and our school communities. And it's a, it's a fine balancing act. Uh, to actually implement those monitoring activities in in the right way in in what we're calling uh, the new normal, but I suppose above all, um, what COVID and, and the last few weeks has has really brought to the fore is the issue of welfare and well-being. Our, our school leaders uh, and our, our staff have been through the most challenging uh, and difficult times. And, and now is really the time to reflect on how we can best support them and their well-being. And there, therein lies another uh, balancing act as we consider what it is reasonable and proportionate and possible to do over the summer uh, to support our pupils in our ambition to help them catch up and recover their co- uh, their lost learning. So these are these are very balanced and nuanced and and challenging conversations that are taking place over the next. A few weeks as we approach the end of uh, the traditional summer term, but uh, with with every possibility that the, the conversations will continue into the summer. Yes, and I know that uh, governing boards across the country are um, really keen that actually their school leaders get a break, that you know they have been um, assessing and reassessing and reading guidance and reading change guidance and communicating with um, staff and parents and reporting to governing boards. So there's been a huge amount of work sort of non-stop um, ever since um, uh, schools were largely closed. And a lot of governing boards, I think, are going to make it um, as uh, uh, possible as they can uh, for, for senior leaders to have a decent break over um, the, the summer holidays, which makes it even more difficult, doesn't it? That um, here we are in July and we're having to plan for, for opening in September with so many unknowns. Um, and all of us are aware that, as you were saying, pupils will need to to catch up um, uh, educationally as as well as socially as, and emotionally. So this um, last week, the government did announce um, a, a significant pot. I think we can call one billion um, for for catch up. Uh, so Sam, tell tell us a little bit more um, about that uh, pot. Thanks, Emma. Yeah, uh, this is very much um, still a case of, of this this money and, and what ex- exactly it would be used for it is still very much being worked out. I mean, what we do know 
is, as you say, there is a billion pounds and that's uh, part of this, uh, the government's catch-up programme. Um, and 350 million of that has been specifically earmarked for a national tutoring programme for the most disadvantaged pupils. And this support is currently um, uh, only available to state uh, primary and secondary schools and excludes early years and 16 to 19 settings. So that's the, the that's the detail that we were given initially. Um, there are questions around exactly how this money will be used. Uh, as I said, 350 million earmarked for uh, the most disadvantaged. But uh, in terms of exactly how the, the 650 million pounds uh, left will be used, I think there are still question marks around that. It will be provided to both primary and secondary schools for catch-up education um, who have missed out on education due to the coronavirus pandemic. But exactly how it will come and how it, it, it has to be used is really still subject to, to quite some debate, which is kind of raging out there in the across the education sector at the moment. And there have been concerns voiced by some head teachers that funds are uh, whether those funds are, are new or whether they're simply being recycled. Um, and there have been calls for confirmation that this is, in fact, new money. Um, and it's since been reported that the the, five, the 55 million catch-up grant for year seven students who start secondary school um, academically behind their peers has now been scrapped. So there are there are uh, lots of things that, that people are are keen to know the detail of. It's not entirely clear how this is, this is going to work. Um, but uh, I think one of the, the other things to quickly say on this, Emma, is, is the fact that uh, there has been suggestions that there will be a degree of discretion from that school leaders will be able to use uh, in, in terms of overseeing how that money is used. Um, but at the same time, this expectation that it will be done through this uh, tutoring program. So as you can as you can see. Um, I'm sure with the coming days and coming weeks, we'll, we'll learn more. Um, but it does bring us on to that, that link to disadvantage more generally and the reality that schools across the country are seeking answers on how they should address the attainment gap and the wider impact of disadvantaged pupils created by this pandemic. And what we know is this isn't going away. It's gained an incredibly high profile uh, during uh, recent weeks, um, including uh, an intervention from from a famous footballer. Um, uh, so you, you know this 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 the, the whole conversation around disadvantage is really very much at the forefront of the national agenda at the moment. So mm. um, as as we get more details, we'll we'll let people know. Absolutely. And I, I think it's fair to say that we, we were slightly um, disappointed that the 650 million of this catch up fund, which will be channeled through schools, um, isn't more targeted. So, so that will, it's already been announced, hasn't it? That that will be available um, to spend on, on all children. But that means it's not then a very large amount of money per, per capita, um, as it were. And it, it's probably worth saying that um, the uh, Education Endowment Foundation, who uh, produce a lot of um, evidence-based uh, research and toolkits for school leaders um, to use, 
did produce on the same day as the original government announcement a small guide um, to help school leaders take into account the the evidence. What is the best evidence for um, for providing uh, catch up? So it's it, there's a link uh, to that toolkit from our website. It's very short and easy to read, so it may well be worth governors and trustees having a a look at that too, uh, because no doubt if it doesn't happen this term, which given how quickly the terms running out it might be September um, when governors are looking at the plans that uh, senior leaders have for that money. And it just might be worth saying in terms of summer, there's been quite a lot of confusion around the summer. Um, it will be up to the discretion of the school or trust whether any of this uh, money is spent in the summer. Um, it's actually for the for the whole at academic um, year. And again, there was an announcement about summer activities, uh, which we covered in last week's um, newsletter. And again, that was much more limited um, than, than we had um hoped. So we know some schools or trusts will be taking the initiative and uh, putting on uh, holiday activities in their broader sense, you know, cultural, arts, sports, um, all really quite difficult to do in, in COVID um, times. But there isn't an expectation nationally that, that schools um, need, need to do that. So it's quite, I think it's quite important for, for governing boards to know you're not expected to lay on a whole raft of activities over the, over the summer holidays. So thanks, Sam. Steve um, mentioned during his um, uh, piece how governing boards are going um, uh, to, in the future, really monitor uh, whether or not uh, pupils are um, uh, catching up. I almost hesitated to say that because it's um, we can't, I think, talk about recovery and, and, and catch up for, for forever. But given we're not going to have the sort of national um, data that we normally have, have um, uh, in terms of uh, test and examination uh, results. Um, and also, um, at least for the um, near future, we don't have Ofsted carrying out inspections. That really changes the, the those discussions that governing boards have at this time of of year. So Emma, you've really been um, thinking about how actually you can monitor, especially given at the moment, uh, governors and trustees aren't visiting their schools. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that's true. I think that we've said though, haven't we, for a long time, um, that visits are just one form of monitoring. And we're always keen to emphasise the importance of triangulation. Um, the different data sources we looked at at the conference and the last round of our regional events, I think, really come into their own with regard to this idea of virtual governance um, or remote governance. So the sources alongside visits our members recommended at those events included things like the robust question and challenge that they give in meetings, be those by teleconference or, or video conference. Um, the head teacher or CEO's report kind of takes on a totally new meaning, I think, during these times. Um, not to forget, which I know Sam will come on to, the importance of that local parent um, and pupil voice, whether it's through formal surveys and questionnaires or more lately, specific feedback regarding thoughts and confidence levels in response to things like safety and reopening measures. 
um, for instance. The, the national and contextual data has never been more important either. I know we kind of say, don't we always think about where you are in relation to others um, with regard to monitoring, but actually in the absence of all of those other things, boards are um, desperate to find out what other schools are doing, how they're doing it and what other boards are monitoring as well. So I would really recommend tapping into any local networks wherever you can to get a sense of what is happening in your area. Um, Emma, you mentioned the Education Endowment Fund. How does that align to or compare with the um, approaches that your leaders are planning to implement um, from September? Um, those sorts of things can be really helpful. I, I think the, the key is to decide what you need to monitor, first of all, and then think about the way in which you're going to do it at the outset of your planning for next year. Um, you can identify then the appropriate data and information sources to help you to keep abreast of what's happening without the, the reliance on visits. So is there any um, particular data that you think um, uh, we should be uh, plundering, as it were, that we haven't done before? And I almost hesitated, actually, to use the word data, because that always makes people think, doesn't it, of sort of big numbers, big data. Uh, and actually, what, what it is governing boards should be doing is looking at information from different sources. As you said, that's what triangulation means, doesn't it? Having it coming at you from different places so you can layer it over each other and 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 check that actually what one source says look works when it's looked at from another perspective so do you think there are particular sources that perhaps we have neglected and that governing virtually might be able to bring to light um, I, I don't know if they're neglected but I think in terms of thinking about what our experience, of working with boards has been over lockdown, that largely I would say they have put their normal business on hold to a degree. And actually they've been monitoring um, perhaps different key areas in different ways. So budget and buildings, I think are kind of at the forefront of everybody's thinking whenever whenever crisis management or, or something different has to happen. Um, but obviously it's the provision for the children who are vulnerable with an education health care plan, children of key workers, and more lately those in the selected year groups who've been returning, what provision has been made available, how many children have been accessing it out of a possible total figure. These are all things that we haven't ever had to look at before as, as governors. Um, monitoring what actions have been taken or are being planned to mitigate against the impact on outcomes especially for those disadvantaged pupils where there's widespread concern regarding that widening attainment gap. Um, I kind of think about what support there's been for parents and children who are trying to do their learning at home. And I suppose as time goes on, to what effect? Um, obviously, safeguarding is one of those things that governors monitor um, and continue to do so. There are changes to that so how well have they been implemented um, but I think all of us feel don't we that the well-being and welfare of pupils as well as staff um, you know thinking about senior executive leader burnout and all of those things as you said Emma without them having had a break um, for, for two holiday periods I think those are the sorts of things that, that people have been thinking about. We've, we've never thought about remote working arrangements for staff before. 
Um, and those have been things, particularly when the schools were closed uh, at the beginning, that were key, key challenges. Um, and I think risk assessments all of a sudden, uh, not that they were never important, but they've really kind of ramped up the, the Richter scale in terms of how robust they are as schools open to more and more children. So those risk assessments are really kind of at, at the forefront of everyone's thinking. So in a way, you're sort of taking us back, aren't you, to those sort of eight elements of, of effective governance, the the knowing your school or your trust, knowing what 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 you govern but then also the asking the right questions asking the good questions and and one of the things our team um uh, always does but i think at the moment we're having a really thorough review of them is those sort of questions that that governors and trustees can use to start a a conversation because that's so important it's a sort of you know you don't know what you don't know until you start asking um asking the the question so although we're in you know very strange times at the moment actually those basics don't change um uh do they i i don't think so no um steve did you want to to come in on a point there at all well i, I just uh, just really reinforcing everything you've said and the basics absolutely don't change and i think one of the one of the biggest challenges will be maintaining school and trust sustainability in the face of these challenges and these these adaptive priorities. And I think those of us who, who govern certainly uh, as part of resources or finance committees uh, are, uh, you know, have they begin begun to accept that, that that our budgets will be adapted more frequently than perhaps they were uh, before, and that we'll be taking we'll be taking much more into account financial scenario planning than perhaps we would in a what you know what we consider to be normal times um, and on one thing i you know would say to boards as, as well at this stage at this early stage to plant this seed is you could do a lot worse than actually uh becoming uh more familiar with the the different funding uh, and grant funding support mechanisms and streams that are available to schools uh, both now and and post covid uh, so that your your school or trust entitlement to those different sources of funding is is maximized so i think that's going to be really important in terms of sustainability going forward so emma uh, what else should um uh, governors and trustees be planning to do regarding visits um in the new term well, I think that, um, first of all, it's difficult to know, isn't it, whether it's going to be appropriate or not. So I think it's best to plan to do monitoring in a different way. So absolutely want to encourage governors to continue to receive regular updates on the plans for reopening, seek assurance that those plans provide continuity of education and are flexible enough to account for, as Steve mentioned, multiple scenarios, local circumstances, etc., um, and, and all of those things. But actually, right now is the time to start thinking about um, what your strategic priorities are for the year ahead. Um, and when you're doing that planning and that thinking, it's worth thinking about at the same time how you're going to monitor, monitor those things without visits. So if, generally speaking, you only cite two other data sources alongside those visits, then you might think about a different third piece of evidence to give you those reassurances that you need. Um, we've really tried to think carefully about 
um, helping boards with this. So in the next uh, week, we're going to launch a new online tool on our e-learning platform, Learning Link. Um, and that actually helps you to develop a plan um, of what sort of things you need to take into account with regard to monitoring. So it will actually ask you, for instance, have you reviewed your, your vision, your strategy, et cetera, um, in any eventuality, but particularly right now in the eventuality of COVID-19 and what sort of impact that might have on where you want to be in 12 months, two years, three years time. Um, and sort of take you through that whole sort of thought process about how your monitoring can then align to those new priorities or the existing ones, albeit adapted with that COVID flavour. Great. That's uh, a really good uh, addition, I think, to, to RE Learning. So I hope uh, people uh, who use Learning Link uh, will have a, have a look at those um, new, new modules. So no conversation we ever have about governance um, these days is complete without looking at, um, so is this different um, within a multi-academy trust? Because so often um, with the different layers of governance uh, at trustee level and then at academy committee level, usually called um, LGBs, uh, things sometimes have to be adapted and, and done differently. Um, so Sam, thinking about... Um, um, the world of virtual governance and how things have changed over the past couple of months. Uh, we know that different mats have done very different things, don't we, in that some have suspended their academy committees, while others have found that actually their academy committees have been absolutely at the centre of looking at the risk assessments for their schools. Do, do you want to say a bit, bit more about that? Mm, absolutely. And uh, I think it's uh, just as you say, Emma, Matt's have responded in very different ways to this pandemic. And this has included how they've used the flexibilities afforded to, to them through their actual governance structure. So I would argue that maybe now, you know, the, over the last few months, we've seen uh, a much greater flex of those those governance structures than we've ever seen. Sometimes um, this has meant pausing those local governance tiers, whether they're LGBs or academy committees or, or whatever they're called. Um, and that's very much made possible because of the flexible nature of MAC governance. And um, for those of you who have been following NGA for a while, you would have heard us talk about this many, many times, um, that actually just because you've done something uh, within your trust um, for a specific amount of time doesn't mean you always have to do it that way and there are those flexibilities within the governance structure so it, it makes sense to use them especially at a time when it might be needed and it, 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 over the last few months um, we, we've seen that this has meant there's been some rapid change in some trusts uh, uh, over the way they've done governance, um, whereas others have, have carried on um, maintaining their existing model. And that's obviously meant for some trusts there's been um, uh, maybe temporary changes to their scheme of delegation. Um, uh, it, it's also meant that there's been a, a need for the trust board in particular um, and working with the executive to really hone uh, hone in on on that communication point, which we know has been a real challenge for trusts uh, over 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 the last few years. And one thing I would say, Emma, is that those trusts with that strong community ethos have really engaged incredibly well 
um, with uh, those at a local level. And even where they have put their local governance tier on hold, I think that uh, where the communication's been right, there's been um, a, 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 this this has worked for for a number of trusts and I think the challenge faced by many mats is that those at a local level in the past have not necessarily understood or appreciated the role of the the trust board uh, and what their role at a local level is and the, and the flexibility that the trust has to change it at times and I think perhaps over the last couple of months we've seen that shift somewhat by and large it appears that mats uh, remain uh, extremely committed, highly committed to ma- maintaining a form of local tier in one one form or another um, within their governance structure. But like I say, that can look uh, that can look very different from trust to trust. And some trust boards, I think, in the past have felt very confined to stick to what they've always done, even if it's not necessarily been working. And I think over the last couple of months, some some trusts have done. Uh, something quite different because they felt that that's that's needed. Um, I think the key question going forwards is to ask um, how how can we learn from this? Um, how can we improve our governance structure overall? Um, and we, we're obviously aware that these challenges haven't simply gone; they're still here. Those at a local level, I think, are really well placed to provide the trustee board with a long term picture of how the pandemic has and has and continues to Im- impact the community so it'd be really interesting to see how trusts re-engage those at a local level in the coming months absolutely because i think one of the big lessons um from covid is just how important schools are in their communities that you know so often wasn't it we've we saw stories of school leaders and other staff um uh, walking around their communities delivering um uh food they were often a source of sort of advice and 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 support so that you know school embedded within their community if any Anything I think is, is is probably stronger as a result of 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 COVID, um, and actually we've we've had a, a, a Matt's network, haven't we, for several years now, which they named themselves the Community Matt's Network, which was about that ethos, wasn't it? it isn't actually about size; it's much more about um, uh, Matt's who um, value that that community link. So we're planning, aren't we, uh, on the ninth of July, our first virtual network. So do you want to say a bit um, a bit about that and what we're hoping hoping to cover? Absolutely. So I think the Community Map Network has been uh, instrumental, not just for NGA, but I would say for the sector as a whole, in, in helping us to understand the experience of trusts over recent years. And we've learned so much just from simply gathering Um, people into a room and hearing their stories, listening to their challenges and giving us a chance to respond to that, but also sharing those challenges and also uh, having people together um, just so they can share practice and and just reassure each other, which I think is really important. We're absolutely delighted that um, for our first virtual uh, network meeting, we have the National Schools Commissioner, Dominic Herrington, joining us for what I think will be a, an extremely wide-ranging um, Q&A uh, discussion. I'm sure many trustees, those governing at a local level and MAT governance professionals will, will come and have uh, questions that are very much about the immediate impact of COVID-19 on multi-academy trusts. But I suspect as well there will be a lot of questions that will be 
uh, very much aimed at well, where do we how do we move on from here where 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 do we go and what does what does the next year look like um and we're also emma in this session going to be specifically um giving some time over in in that virtual space which will be uh, fun i think um to 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 discuss the role of schemes of delegation um, and and how these have moved on in, in recent years. NGA has since 2016 had um, a, a selection of model schemes of delegation that we know trusts have used and they've been really popular. Um, but we are looking to review those um, to reflect the changes that ha have happened in, in that space of time. Uh, and we're really looking forward to, to engaging people and, and, and getting their, their views and their ideas um, so we can feed that into that process. And I think, you know, that's how we always like to do things. Um, we, we will listen to those uh, on the ground. And actually, we, we want to bring actual real practice in, into our guidance. And I think that's a, a really key thing for us. You know, clearly, we're, we're also hugely interested in the whole range of, of, of issues that um, you all are facing in your schools and, and trusts. Uh, but actually, at the heart of this is, is us offering our expertise to, um, to the sector. So, yes, if you govern within a, a multi-academy trust or you are a governance professional at a mat, please do join us on the 9th of July uh, to take that conversation to the next step so um thank you uh for 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 joining us we um have still got um more happening uh, before we get to the end of term uh we have a send advisory group we have a clerking advisory group both happening virtually so again look out for those if you're interested in those and the topics that we will be talking about in the next couple of um uh podcast includes um, welfare, particularly staff welfare and the well-being of senior leaders, because we know that so many of you have been concerned about that. And we have an incredibly important role in making sure that our senior leaders are healthy um, and happy in order to achieve what they need to for, for their schools and trusts. And that role that governing boards have in making sure there are healthy the cultures at all our institutions are incredibly um, important. Um, so please do um, stay safe, um, but come back and listen to our next conversation, uh, I hope, when we return to these other themes. But uh, goodbye for now. <laughs>